You all got real quiet. Good morning. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. Today, we're promoting hope as we're going through the Advent season. We pray and we hope to tell you everything you need to know about hope that found in Christ alone. Stand together. Let's sing. Worthy of all our praises, 
praise. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment as we have some announcements. We do want to welcome you to our services this morning, and for those of you viewing online, we welcome you as well. And uh, just a reminder that upward basketball and cheerleading evaluations will take place this uh, Friday night and Saturday. Friday night is from 6 to 9. Saturday is uh, from 9 to 3. We are encouraging people to register online as that is set up, but there are forms available in the Family Life Center for those who aren't able to register online. And there are no late registrations, so this weekend is the only weekend that uh, you can register for Upward, and it's for kindergarten through fourth grade, and there are limited uh, spots. Today, right after the worship service, there'll be a special call business meeting today to approve the 2021 budget. And uh, tonight begins our Christmas celebration through the month of December, and tonight's going to be our Thrive Christmas Worship. Worship's going to be led by our students. Uh, Overflow is going to be performing. Our youth band is going to be leading in worship. We're going to have two young men speaking, and we're going to have some students leading in prayer. So I want to encourage you to come tonight and support our students as they lead us in uh, a Thrive Christmas worship experience tonight. Next Sunday night is Advent Serenade with uh, Terry uh, Martin and Shama. And uh, Terry is going to be taking song requests. So I want to encourage you to come next Sunday night uh, for that special time of worship. And then on December the 20th is the uh, Christmas program at 6 p.m. called a Unique Christmas Experience or Experiment. It may be an experience, but it's called an experiment. So <laughs> experience, experiment, we'll see which one it is. But, uh, but Shama's going to try to live stream all these evening services beginning uh, tonight. And uh, if he's not able to live stream, they are going to be recorded and posted on the church Facebook page and on YouTube. So we, if you're viewing online, uh, we encourage you to maybe try that tonight if you're not able uh, to come to these services. Just a great way to enjoy uh, the worship if you're not able to be here. Families with children who would like to have uh, The Way to the Manger, which is a family Advent devotional book to use to prepare for Christmas, you may register to receive one by using the Church Center app or by contacting Linda Coulter. Just a reminder that we are continuing to take our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal is $6,500. All that money goes directly to our International Mission Board uh, missionaries, so we encourage you to give as a way uh, to give to missions around the world. There is no children's choir uh, tonight, and uh, we do want to remember Pam McIntosh and her family as we got word this morning that her dad, Elsie, uh, nicely passed away uh, this morning. So remember Pam McIntosh and her family during this time of grieving and mourning. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship God. As you sing the song of praise together, I want you to pay attention to that part where it says, I will yet praise him, my great redeemer. I will yet stand up and give him glory with my life. So that's a, a, really, a song that just portrayed total surrender to our great king, our great God. No matter what's going on, we need to surrender to him and have hope that time and him alone. Worship together. Yes. 
This song may be new for you, but I promise you, you would love this. I love any time a great worshiper, a great Christ follower wrote a song. So the Gettys is the one who originally created this song. What is our hope in life and death? 
Christ alone. He is. I'll let you sing that song along. If I, if I try to type my testimony up to that and show you how God, no matter what's going on in your life, if your life is not just bounced back to God alone, you're in big trouble. Probably just like you. I tried many things. I tried to do my own things. I never found peace or hope until I surrender to God. As we worship together today, I hope that you can, you can find the urge and the need to surrender totally, I mean totally, to Christ and Christ alone. This song is a great song of hope to the extreme. I pray that you meet with God as you worship. Christ is what reward 
would have his brain everlasting life then he would come to meet the Lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ
1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are reminded that you and you alone are our hope. Um, we've been reminded of that so much this year. Lord, help us to put our hope in you alone. Lord, be with us as, as we hear your word shared this morning. Prepare our hearts, open our hearts to what you have to speak to us today. Lord, be with Brother Darren as he shares, as he gives us words uh, from scripture. And help us just to trust in you, in your name. Amen. Thank you all very much. Well, as we have just witnessed the lighting of the first Advent candle, it reminds us of how special this season is. And I just want to remind those of you who are watching at home, uh, you know, you can participate. And I just want to encourage you, make this festive season, make it festive. Uh, we, we need to increase our joy in the midst of, uh, let's just say, gloomy times, amen? And sometimes we need to just be reminded of how great a salvation we have, and I just am so grateful uh, for our staff and for those who have led us this morning. The words uh, that we have just sung are so meaningful to so many of us. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. The hope of the world really is found in Jesus Christ, amen? And today as we get started and we think about uh, Advent, which literally means, from Latin, it means coming or the appearing. Uh, we celebrate the coming and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God that he kept his promises that he made throughout the entirety of the Old Testament that he was going to send a Redeemer. You know, I'm mindful as I think about the times, the long stretches of darkness that uh, Israel, God's chosen people, went through. There was a long season of darkness even as Noah and his family was on that ark together. There was a long period and season of darkness uh, as Israel needed reform and revival whenever Isaiah came to the scene and prophesied that there would be a virgin that would conceive and have a child, and we would name him Emmanuel, God with us. And then at the end of the, Bible, end of the Old Testament, 400 years of silence between Malachi and the coming of Jesus in the Gospels. 400 years of darkness, 400 years of silence, 400, time, 400 years of, of delayed hope. And it reminded me uh, of something that uh, I had forgotten. And that, that was about the same amount of time that Israel was in bondage in Egypt around 400 years when they cried out to God for deliver and God sent to Moses. And it, I'm reminded that God is always on time. His time is not always according to our timetable, but he is always on time. I was just reading as we were singing a moment ago, I was reading about uh, at the end of Revelation chapter 22. Uh, and if I have time, I'll go there. But it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you until he comes, Maranatha. And I'm just 
I just want you to sense that Advent is about us celebrating the joy and the anticipation of awaiting God to keep his promise that Christ will come again, just like he came the first time. Thus, we've sung this morning about hope. We have just lit the first candle of Advent, which is a candle of hope. And I want us to stand and hear some scripture of hope. So let's stand now for the reading of God's word. And I want to deliver you a message today. Advent, a season of hope. Romans 15, verses 4 and 7 through 13. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised, on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Fathers, we receive your word today. We are reminded that the hope that is offered Lord, to us, we are the Gentile people that uh, Paul was speaking to and towards. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. And thank you that we inherit the hope that is found through the seed of David. Thank you for the message that we have of the gospel. Lord, I pray for those who are either watching online or here in this service. God, I just pray that you would remind us, that God, you would remind us of the precious hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, as we have lit this first candle of Advent, remind us this whole season is to point to the hope that we have in Christ. May we extend that light of salvation to others. May it warm our hearts and may it brighten our homes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When Miss Linda approached us as a staff of over a month ago and wanted to know about passing out this uh, Advent book. A few of them are still out there at the Welcome Center. She wanted to send and encourage all of our preschoolers and children's parents to walk through their kids uh, with. I just want to celebrate with you that one child, a third grader, I believe, accepted Christ after the first devotion of Advent. Isn't that wonderful? And I just want you to think about, you know, when you talk about Advent, you talk about hope, you talk about the scripture, and how can we experience this precious, how can it become ours? It can become ours by simply confessing our sin, repenting, trusting Christ as our Savior. And then this hope that we're reading about, studying about, we, we can experience. It becomes ours. It floods our own heart. It captures our soul, and it gives us a reason to hold out and to look and to long for uh, the blessed hope that we have in Christ. And I just made my morning hearing that. And so 
I just got to give Miss Linda credit. This devotion is helping me. I'm using lots of it in my sermon. And so if you're not aware of that devotion, pick it up uh, or even go online and find a uh, devotion to go along with Advent. Hope. Did you know it's used in 144 verses in the Bible? Now, sometimes it's talking about my hope, but lots of times it's talking about the hope, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. John Gill was a uh, predecessor of Spurgeon uh, there in London as a Baptist preacher. He said that hope is the gift of God and that through his grace, hope is wrought in the heart in regeneration. In other words, you receive hope upon regeneration when you're saved. He said, in this, God is the object of your hope. Not wealth, not riches, not works of righteousness, but Jehovah, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, particularly Christ, is called to be the believer's hope. Likewise, he is the object of our hope, and it is in him whom the Gentiles hope and trust. That's why I wanted to read the text that I did today. This is going to be a topical message, but I want us to realize that the hope that all of us has is in Christ. As I said a minute ago, Advent means the arrival or coming. I don't know about you, but I always am interested in history, and I want to know the history of the Advent wreath and what got the Advent wreath and the lighting of the candle started. And so I don't know if you have the picture of the the original wagon wheel and the 24 candles, but the story goes that there was a missionary by the name of Johann Henrik Witchen, who was born in 1808 to 1881 he lived. And he wanted to find a way to spread the message of the gospel to the people in Hamburg, Germany. As he worked there as a missionary among the poor, in 1833, he founded a school called Ruhas House, which means rough house. You ever heard of roughhousing? Well, obviously, this is where it started. And he founded it in 1833 to redeem and to serve those neglected children and orphans by feeding them, housing them, and educating them. And so to help contain the children's excitement and leading up to December 25th, uh, Christ's birthday, Christmas, uh, he created the first Advent wreath. And he looked around and found a wagon wheel and he used it and he decorated it uh, with greenery. And he put 24 candles on the original Advent wreath. The four large candles indicated the Sundays of Advent. And then during the daily prayers there in uh, this uh, Rojas house, this rough house, he would have the children gather for scripture reading and for daily prayer. And, you know, they had worn him out in the year before, so he decided to say, this is how you will know how many days we have left until Christmas. We will light a candle every day leading up to Christmas. And then we will light the main Christmas candle uh, in the center on Christmas Eve. Well, over the years, and I doubt very many uh, German folk in Hamburg, Germany, even know that the, this wreath and this Advent wreath started right there in Hamburg, Germany. It's been reduced from the, uh, the 24 with all the four large candles uh, representing each Sunday leading up to Advent to the uh, four candles and then the Christ candle in the middle representing Christ. But still there should be a sense of hope. The greenery that he put around the wreath represented the eternal life that is offered in Jesus Christ. The circular nature of the wreath symbolizes God's infinite love that has no beginning or no end for mankind. And as we look at each candle of hope, love, joy, and peace, it climaxes with the lighting of he who is the light of the world, the Christ candle, Jesus our Lord.
This leads to the thrill of hope, the life which is redeemed. The hope that Christianity has offered has redeemed sinners, has restored marriages, has renewed health, has refreshed souls, has satisfied the hungry, has sheltered the homeless, has freed the addict, and it has brought peace to conflicted nations. We have much to celebrate during this Advent season. Amen. So if you have your outline and you want to follow along, uh, Roman number one, the hope was promised by God way back in the beginning. If you were to go back all the way to Genesis, you know, it's a remarkable story. You have to start, when you're sharing the gospel, the gospel will not make sense. And it's, it's like I've shared with you many, many times before. Uh, you cannot just take off the Old Testament. You have to... Uh, ha- you have to have the Old Testament understand uh, the beginning of the story and the drama and the evil and the need for a hero. You have to have the Old Testament understand the necessity of Jesus and why he is the Messiah, why he is the hope of nations, why he is the desire of every heart. And it starts way back in Genesis. Y'all hopefully are familiar with Genesis chapter 1 and 2 about how God created the heavens and the earth. And yes, he did create it. He spoke the world, the universe, the stars, all of there. He spoke it into existence. And so as we think about this, and I want to remind you, we are speaking about hope. Hope comes against the backdrop of where there is dread, where there is sin, where there is evil, where there is chaos. And as we think about what happened in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15 and 16, when the Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it, he gave him stewardship of this earth. Verse 16 says that the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then you get into the drama of Genesis chapter 3. And after God had made Eve and gave uh, Eve to Adam as a helpmate, and as their marriage blossomed, and as their relationship with God blossomed, and as everything was great there in the Garden of Eden, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that the serpent was found to be the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And the serpent came to the woman and placed doubt and distrust of God in the woman's heart. This is how he did it. Did God really say you can't eat? from any tree in the garden, that if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. I just want you to understand something. In the backdrop of God's beauty and God's pristine uh, glory in the Garden of Eden and this amazing relationship of communion, open fellowship, no shame, no sin, no separation, no death, no darkness, no gloom, uh, in the midst of all that, the Satan, and came as a serpent and deceived her. And what did he use? He used doubt and distrust of God's word. And I just want to express to you, we live in a day that not only in, in colleges and in philosophy classes, but everywhere you look, from the universities to open culture to some churches, there is distrust and doubt brought upon God's word. And if you can't trust God's word, you can't trust God. Do you see how this works? And so hope became necessary the moment she was deceived and she was seduced and she delighted in the appeal of that fruit and she gave in to the pride of life. She could be like God. She gave in to the lust of the eye. It looked, she saw and it looked wonderful and she gave in to the lust of the flesh. She craved it and desired it. 
And so she gave in to the pride of life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. And when she ate it, she gave it to her husband, Adam. He ate of it. And the Bible says in the New Testament that Adam, as our federal head, the first Adam, he doomed the human race into fallenness. Dear friends, that is where the backdrop for the whole drama of redemption begins, right here in Genesis 3, 14, and 15. If you put up on the screen, Genesis 3, 14, 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and you will eat dust all of your life. Now, what was Adam and Eve? What are we made out of? Dust. Have you ever put that together? His desire is to consume you, to eat away at you, eat away at your soul, eat away at your flesh, eat away at all that you are. And look at this declaration of war that God made, and it's the first proto-evangelon in the entire Bible. The first mention of the gospel is found in this promise, this first promise of hope here in 315. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And right out there to the margin of your Bible, you ought to write Romans 16, 20, where Paul says that Jesus will crush the devil's head. Now listen, I just want you to know this is an open declaration of war and that there is a war against your soul and that you have to fight for joy and you have to look to God for the promise of hope. You can trust him. You can trust his promise of hope. There's the first instance of hope. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines hope as confidence in that which God has done for us. Say confidence. Confidence in that which God has done for us. The, what he's done for us in the past guarantees our participation and what God will do for us in the future. And I like what one commentator said. Hope is joyful, confident expectation. Hope is a gift from God. So I'm so grateful for Johann Henrik uh, Wicham's first wreath, and I'm grateful for the first promise of hope that's given to us in the Bible. Uh, let's go on to Roman numeral two. Hope was predicted by God's prophets. Now listen, there's so many prophecies in the Old Testament uh, to pick from, but I'm grateful this de children's devotion um, that we're using uh, puts right out there in the first part, Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. Many of you have memorized it. Most of you have sent out Christmas cards uh, with this verse on it. Uh, and uh, I just want to read it to you. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. I just want to say to those who are listening and to those who understand that this is a miracle of God. And I want to just remind you that the reason that this is such a miracle is prophesied between 620 and 720 years before Christ is because no one had ever come into being before born of a virgin. That's called biology. This had to be a supernatural act. This had to be God intervening. This had to be an act of God for a virgin to conceive and to bear forth a son. And we're to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to know that this is an amazing thing, but it's not amazing to God. 
into the children's devotion, it just brings to light something that uh, I want you to understand. And that is that there is hope and hope springs from the darkness. Whatever you're going through in life, you're going through dark times, that's when hope is birthed. Hope was prophesied by Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble and he is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, hope begins in the midst of darkness. It begins in the midst of, they were going through economic pressure. They were going through social pressure. Uh, chaos. They were going through times when they didn't know whether or not they were going to be free to continue to worship as Jewish people. Sound familiar? They were in chaotic times, dark times, unsure times, and yet God held out to them a prophecy that would give promise of hope. And it reminds me of something that I want to just give uh, as to all of you. Job is the greatest, probably one of the greatest examples that we have in the, in the entire Bible of what we do when we don't understand what's going on. Job is a picture of hope when everything had been taken away from him. His wealth had been taken away from him. His children had been taken away from him. His servants had been taken away from him. His reputation and status had been taken away from him. Everything that you could trust in. Hope, status, wealth, children, everything you could hope in had been ripped away from him, and he was left with nothing but oozing sores and disgusting smell that even his own wife said, you're putrid to me. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Job 13, 15, I don't know if you can put it up on the screen. Job 13, 15, this is what Job said. Even... If he kills me. Now listen, there's a great temptation when things don't go our way, when prayers aren't answered the way we want them to be answered, when we don't get the analysis from the test that we're hoping to get, when we get that call that something terrible has happened, when a loved one's been taken away, when something terrible happens. Remember Job. Job said, even if he kills me, yet I will hope in him. Where was Job's hope? In God. I will hope in him. Say hope in him. Dear friends, I don't know what you're going through, but none of us have gone through anything like Job had. Job had gone through that which was unimaginable, and God put his life on paper to be a testimony for all generations of people of faith to come to look at the trials of Job. And yet Job did not blame God. And Job said, even if he slays me, even if he kills me, yet will I hope in him. I don't know about you, but that gives me some grit in my spine. And that helps me on days when I feel like, oh, woe is me. Because none of us have gone through the woes that Job did. So we have the truth that pain, pain leads you to hope. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Ellie Weisel? She was one of the Holocaust uh, survivors. 
She talked about her experiences at Auschwitz, and she experienced the horrors of seeing her friends and family members being separated and seeing them killed and seeing them die of starvation. And during those cruel days, this is what she wrote down. She wrote down, hope begins in chaos. Think about that. Hope begins in chaos. Some days we feel like we will never escape from under that which covers our faces. The brokenness, the weight of our world feels so much like darkness that when I see the horrors around me, I can only say it is always night. Always night. Listen to this. We have to tell the truth of pain, even the pain of hope. Wow. We have to tell the truth of pain, even the pain of hope. You have to think through that sometimes. And end of the day, you have to realize, and I don't know if it was Spurgeon who said this, or, or if not, but since he's my hero, I'm going to give him credit as if he did, okay? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. While tomorrow is on the way, I'm going to prophesy hope today. We need to hold on to hope. Number three, hope was pointed to by a star. Now, many of us have read uh, Matthew chapter 2, but just in case you need a refresher, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Now, when you look out at the stars at night, this devotional that Miss Linda has recommended talks about that the fact that there are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy. 200 billion stars. I just want to know who, what astronaut or what scientist it was that, that counted up to 200 billion. How do they know there's 200 billion? I don't know. Can you count to 200 billion, Pete? I, 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 you know, I'd get lost. You know. So I don't, I'm just taking the word for it. 200 billion stars, more than can be counted. To think that God spoke each one of these stars into existence. These stars, some are very large. Uh, the smallest known stars, barely larger than the planet Saturn. Most stars are less than half the size of the sun, and they're called red dwarfs. The sun itself is actually a star, and it's the closest star to Earth. Many years ago, even before Jesus was born, there were people who studied the stars. They were called astronomers. Many years ago, astronomers would draw maps of the placement of the stars, which would help them to find directions of the places at night. Astronomers are still around today, except now they have fancy telescopes and computer programs to help track the stars. The wise men who visited Jesus studied not only astronomy, but also the scriptures. And this is where I'm headed to in Matthew chapter 2. Listen to this. They knew that God would send his son and that when he came to earth, there would be a bright star shining in the sky. The wise men believed that God had told the writers of the Old Testament, so they studied the night sky hoping to see the star. And when the star appeared, they followed it with the hope of finding the Savior. And when you look at Matthew chapter 2, what we see in the testimony of Scripture is that there were indeed men who traveled to Bethlehem of Judea during the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, and they arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and we've come to worship him. Now, that's amazing. If you go down to Matthew 2, 6, it quotes from Micah 5, 2 and says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because of you, there will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, asked them the exact time that the star appeared. And then down at verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And it just leads me back to Micah chapter 5 too. When was the last time you sat down with your family and you looked at Micah chapter 5 verse 2? This is what the ancient astrologers looked at. They looked at the stars and they looked at the prophecies of Scripture. Now, this is, very, this is something that is very illuminating to me. But when I look at this and I see the place of Bethlehem that was predicted, now, do you understand the astronomical uh, preciseness of how uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before they would be declared by God through a prophet where Jesus, the Messiah, would be born? He'd be born in Bethlehem. This is amazing. Only the God, the one true God, uh, could fulfill his promise to Abraham through the line that he had established. Only God could put the hope of his promise that he made in Genesis 3.15, confirmed in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, and then through the, the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then through Jacob's sons, all the way through the slavery and the, the epic times of their, uh, their uh, delay in Egypt, and then the promise of the promise. All this is a part of it. But it culminates here in a little town called Bethlehem. Look at uh, Micah 5.2, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, you're like, why is it so important here in Scripture that we read this? Well, uh, Bethlehem comes from uh, these words. In Hebrew, lechem, which is bread, and bet is house. So literally, he will be born at the house of bread. And this is an amazing thing. When Jesus was preaching and, and he was uh, with his disciples, and we partook of the Lord's Supper uh, last week, and we held up a little cracker representing that Jesus is the bread of life, and he said, take this uh, bread with no leaven in remembrance of me. But have you ever noticed that in Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem, house of bread, but Ephrath, it comes from the Hebrew word that means the fruit of the vine. You're telling me that seven, eight, nine hundred years before Christ, you're telling me that in the prophecy of Jesus coming to a little town called Bethlehem, Ephrath, that you have the picture of the new covenant of Jesus' body, the bread being broken and given for us, and you have a picture of his blood, the fruit of the vine being spilt for us. You're telling me that from the beginning, the picture of the new covenant, the picture of Jesus, the Savior and satisfier of God's wrath, you're telling me that from seven, eight hundred years before there was prophesied? Yes. And when the wise men found Jesus in this little town called Bethlehem, all the prophecies of Micah and Numbers chapter 22, it came together. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it says that one will come from you to be ruler over Israel uh, for me, and his origin is from uh, antiquity and from eternity. And so we have the place of Bethlehem that's mentioned, but we also have the person. Look there at Micah. Stay there. Look at five, uh, verses 4 and 5. And it says here in verses 4 and 5, it says that he will stand and shepherd. And this is, if you want to write this down in your margin, your Bible, in your notes, this is the person of hope described. He will be a person who stands for us. He will be a person who shepherds us. He will be a person who secures us strengthens us 
and who shatters our burdens. He will become our shalom. So I just want you to get in verses 4 and 5. Look at it. He will stand. He will shepherd them in the strength of the Lord and the majestic name of the Lord his God, and they will dwell securely, and then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth, and he will be their shalom, their peace. This is amazing that God has given us the portrayal of not only the place that hope would come into this world, but the person, what he would do for us. He would stand for us. He would strengthen us. He would shepherd us. He will shatter our burdens. Now, this is something so many people today need to hear. If you try to bear your burden alone, it will drive you into the ground. You have a God who loves you and sent forth his son who said, Come of me, take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest. In the picture of taking the yoke upon you, that means that Jesus becomes a beast of burden that pulls the weight of your burden, and you get to walk alongside him while he carries the weight of the burdens of your life. Those who are in darkness, those who are in despair, roll. That means commit. The word Hebrew word for commit your, your burden to the Lord means to roll the weight of it onto the beast of burden. You're to take your burden and roll the weight of it onto Christ. He will take your burden. That's how you find rest. You roll your burdens committed onto him. He then will give you peace. He'll give you shalom. He is the prince of shalom. Remember, shalom means the Hebrew blessing, the idea that where you find the absence, the absence of chaos, the absence of conflict, where you find rest, prosperity, and strength and joy, he becomes your shalom. That's a wonderful promise of the person of hope that we are to look forward to. That's the hope that Job looked forward to. That's the hope that David trusted in. Uh, when David said in Psalm 33, 18, but look, the Lord keeps his eyes on those who fear him and those who depend on his faithful love. That is the hope that Israel is commanded to have in him. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love, there is kessed, covenant loyalty, love with the Lord, and with him you find redemption and abundance. Over and over and over, the person of hope is described. Now, fourthly, I just want to hit this light because I'm going to come back to it later. But hope was proclaimed by the angels in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. It was the angels of the Lord that appeared. It was just, you know, uh, Sharon that he's going to do a serenade. I said, what's a serenade? He said, come, you'll find out. Uh, you're going to do a serenade on a Sunday evening for Christmas season. But these angels appeared, multitudes upon multitudes appeared uh, as a starry host, to the shepherds watching over their flocks on the fields outside Bethlehem by night and made the announcement, today in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. It was hope that was declared by the angels. I want you to understand something. We have a supernatural hope. Our hope is birthed by God. It's not natural It's not natural for you to hope when there's darkness, when there's chaos, when there's gloom. It's not natural because it's supernatural. Amen? 
That's why liberal people who don't believe the Bible and don't believe the creator God, that think we they don't have a sense of the supernatural joy and hope that dwells within us that's birthed when you get saved. You have hope birthed inside of you. That's the difference. That's why in the midst of chaos, you can have hope. That's why in the midst of darkness, it makes the gleam and the brightness and the glitter of hope that much more spectacular. That's why when hope's proclaimed, we need to take it as if it's ours because it is. So when I think about this hope, this, pre- this hope that is announced by the angels, and I think about the hope uh, that we have, it reminds me what Paul said to Titus in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and live sensible, righteous, and godly uh, ways in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Are we going to struggle with sin? Yes. Are we going to struggle with darkness? Yes. Are we going to struggle with disease? Yes. Are we going to experience brokenness in this life? Yes. Are we going to experience death and separation from our loved ones? Only temporarily. Paul said to the Thessalonians, yes, grieve, but grieve as those who have hope. Who have what? Hope. Let me wrap it up with the preciousness of what God has done. This hope is precious because what God has done for us in Christ. First Peter chapter 1. I think you turn to First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3. First Peter 1, 3. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because, now get this, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So listen to me. You and I have received the mercy. We don't deserve mercy from God. We don't. We don't deserve it. But God in his great mercy sent forth his son, and he's given us new birth. And we're talking to you about you can be religious and not experience new birth. Uh, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, was one of the most religious men in the face of the planet when Jesus had a conversation with him at night. And Nicodemus said, well, how can I be saved? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again to receive the birth of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. And then you receive this living hope. And what is that? what's the instrument of cause? How do we get this? How are we guaranteed this new hope? You're guaranteed it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why people who deny the resurrection of Jesus, they don't have any hope. The most they can find is a little bit of happiness that comes out with the newest gadget that they get. Then a few days after they play with that new gadget, what happens to all that happiness and joy? It's gone. 
You know, you think, you, you think that brand new car that you've been saving for, you're going to get, you think that's going to bring, yeah, it's going to bring you happiness, and it's going to bring you joy, and it's going to bring you the thrill of the drive until you go to your retail market outlet and you park it out in the middle of nowhere so it doesn't get scratched, and you come out and there's a buggy rammed up against it. And you got a scratch and a dent. And then what happens? All that happiness. You will not find your happiness in things of this world, but you will find hope in the guarantee that comes to us because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Peter says he's our blessed hope. Amen. And so I want you to understand that this hope is precious. It gives us confidence because Jesus rose from the dead. We can persevere. It doesn't matter what you face. You can persevere. None of us have experienced what the Apostle Paul experienced. Have you ever read his testimony, what he experienced? I mean, he was shipwrecked three or four times. He'd been cast into prison multiple times. He'd been nearly left to starve to death multiple times. He was stoned to death and left for dead. Listen, this Apostle Paul, while he was in ankle bracelets and chains in a maritime prison in Philippi. He wrote the epistle of joy and he was, according to what uh, Dr. Easley, who is my New Testament Greek professor, led us to believe, he was in a prison area that doubled as a latrine. You know what a latrine is? It ain't like the prisoners got it today. Listen, I'm telling you, the apostle Paul in that context, wrote Philippians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 of how a Christian is to find joy in this life. How could he do that? Because his hope and his confidence came through the resurrected Jesus. And then lastly, I just want you to see that a Christian can live in the certitude of hope and I want to take you to the, I got time. I didn't think I would. Turn to Revelation 22. You know how excited I am that I actually got time to look at this. This is great. Revelation 22, the end of the book. I mean, he, it wraps up everything. We started with the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. Uh, uh, Revelation 22:14 says, "Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life." So we get to eat of the tree of life. We get to enter into the city by the gates. Uh, outside, those who are not in heaven are those who, who the Bible calls dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves the practice of falsehood. And then 16, Jesus says. Um, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things for you churches that I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. This goes back to what we talked about in Numbers 24, 17, Micah 5, 2. Jesus, this is his advent testimony. You want to know why you put a star at the top of your tree? It's not just because of the star that led the wise men uh, to uh, Bethlehem, but it's also because Jesus said, I am the bright morning star. And in verse 17, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And the one who desires to take the water of life as a gift, 
This is Christmas. A gift, gift get Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus, the gift. Someone say amen. amen. And he says, I testify to everyone who hears, verse 18, the words of the prophecy of this book, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God would add to him. The plagues are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from them the words of this book, uh, then God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. Verse 20. And he who testifies about these things, that's you and me, that's the Holy Spirit working through you and me to tell other people the good news of the gospel, that there's hope for this world. There's hope in place of darkness. There's hope in place of disease and sickness and sin, that there's hope. He said, those who testify about these things, we all say together, yes, we repeat the words of Jesus. Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Now look at verse 21. This is the bow on the top of this message. Look at the word, the grace. Stop. The grace. I'm at Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. But when you do a deep dive into the word grace and what's meant here as the Holy Spirit ends all of God's words here. Grace comes to that root word charis that means that which is affords joy, that which affords pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, kindness, that which gives strength, that which gives faith, that which increases in knowledge, that which causes your affection and your virtues to grow exponentially. He has made the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. I don't know about you, but that inflames the little flame of hope that's inside me when I realize what I have and what I need to shine until he comes. Until he comes, I have hope. Until he comes, you have the message of hope. And it's the grace of God that fuels the sweetness of this delight, its charm, its loveliness. It's the grace of God that increases your desire and affection for him. It's the grace of God that causes you to cry out, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And just as there is a great anticipation for his first coming and great adoration by all, there will be great anticipation in his second coming, and we need to adore him when he comes. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the lighting of this first Advent candle of hope. Thank you for reminding us of the supernatural nature of hope. It's not something we work up. It's not something we gen up. It's something that you have placed within us upon salvation, the work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. You put that spark of joy, of eternal life. You put that source, that light in us that can never be extinguished. So, Lord, if there's someone here today that has never received that hope, 
I pray that today they would repent of their sins, that they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that today, through an act of your kindness and grace and mercy, you would take a sinner and you would transform them into becoming a child of God. Oh, Lord, I pray that many would call upon you in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of the chaos and the conflict of this world, to find the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Lord, change supernaturally someone's heart today as they become a new creature in Christ. And for those, Lord, who've grown weary, those whose candle seems dim, would you help them to realize the hope that we have in the light of the gospel? Lord, bless your people, I pray, and draw us to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we sing, if God has spoken to your heart and you need to make a spiritual decision, maybe you need someone to pray with you to trust Christ and to be saved. As we stand, make your way to the back. We have counselors that will meet with you. Maybe you need to be baptized in believer's baptism and you need to get your baptism right. In other words, you were saved after you went through a process of getting wet. You weren't really baptized. You need to get your baptism in the right order and trust Christ. Or maybe you need to make this your church home. You've been praying about it. You've been thinking about it. Now would be a great season for you to make Red House Baptist Church your church home. As we sing, if God leads you, you step out, go to the back, and we'll pray with you. Light of the world, you step down into glory. Open my eyes and let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am. Here I am to worship, here I am. 
Our God is awesome, isn't it? Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing the word of God and a word of hope. We all need one of those. I need some of these right now. So thank you. Um, as you know, you know what time it is. It's time for lunch. And I hope you're ready to go home. And uh, looking forward to see you again uh, this afternoon, some of you, this evening, and some of you next weekend. Um, go with the hope of Christ in your heart and let it shine for the world to see as we sing the chorus one last time. Never knew. I never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I never know how much it costs to see my sin upon. Forget we do have a special call business meeting. Guests, you're more than welcome to stay. If you do want to ease out, feel free to do so. Business meeting with a prayer, and then we'll get started. It won't take a few moments. Heavenly Father, we thank.